The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. Do you remember when you were a child, struggling, trying to achieve Do you remember it felt almost impossible? It felt like there was so much to learn and so much to grab a hold of that you just couldn't get it. I remember a little country one-room school where we were introduced to the times tables. And it seems that I would just learn one simple times, and then there was another one to learn and another one. It seemed utterly impossible. And so as a young child, I gave up trying to learn the times tables. And so I'd have to stay in at recess time to take the test again and see if I would pass it. I never did learn all the times tables. I learned how to be real quick with my fingers. But they seemed out of reach, impossible. I remember I felt a similar way when I was taking Greek and then Hebrew. It seemed like there was so much to learn that I could never learn it all. We live in a culture that is very oriented to learning a culture that is completely given to information, technology. And many people that I speak with feel overwhelmed by all of the technology. Well, the same thing has happened in the Christian church. Let me show you what I mean. We're studying in the book of James... In James, the first chapter, let me read this translation to you. Verse 21. Therefore, having already taken off all moral uncleanness and residue of depravity, in humility you must receive the ingrafted word the one being able to save your souls. Now, I read that from the Lavender New Testament, a literal translation according to the Greek. But let me share the surprise if you did not catch it. In the Greek, this is often translated in the present tense, as in take off. In other words, right now, take off all moral uncleanness. 
and residue of depravity. In other words, that's the perpetual task of the Christian, to always be struggling again and again and again to take off moral uncleanness, to take off the residue of depravity. Well, if we go to another passage of Scripture in Ephesians, let me read this one to you. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 25. Therefore, having already put aside falsehood, each one must speak the truth with his neighbor. But wait a minute. Having already put aside translates an aorist participle. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the Greek tenses, but this particular aorist participle is always used with a finished action. Here and in other important texts, translators represent the inspired writings as giving exhortation, instruction in their Christian, to their Christian readers to do something with respect to sin, something not yet accomplished. And so if you look at the NIV in Ephesians 4 verse 25, it translates this, you must put off. The literal translation is, having already put off. Or if you look at the New King James Version, Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, let us lay aside. Let us lay aside. But in the literal Greek translation, it is a finished work, having already taken off and laid aside. If you look at James 1, verse 21, that we just looked at, the actual translation is literally having already taken off. But in the modern translations, it's casting away. In other words, it's not finished yet. You're always casting away. In 1 Peter 2, verse 1, the New American Standard Bible translates it, putting aside. But in the literal Greek, it is having already put off. Now, Catholicism, and unfortunately in large segments of the Protestant church of today, they do not believe that Jesus can actually save and deliver from all sin right now. And so the translation is changed not reflecting the reality of the actual Greek tense, 
which is a finished action, and instead we get this constantly moving forward but never accomplishing. And so, as I have read the scriptures and and trusted the translators of the NIV and of the New King James Version and the New American Standard Bible and all of these translations, they do the same thing because they are all reflecting a Calvinistic bent. They are reflecting inaccurately the literal tenses of the Greek New Testament. They don't believe in finished action. They believe it's something you always have to struggle with. And then they have to cover this over by saying, when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. And so out of all of this comes the Gnostic doctrine of the sinning Christian. You're never able to overcome your sin. You're always going to walk in the struggle. So you get one very popular national preacher who's on this broad, who's on this station regularly and on the FM side regularly. He says, look, just go to church and have a wonderful time. Have fun. Church is to be enjoyed. Don't worry about your sin. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. Or as one man who in desperate need came to see me, a drug addict, marriage about to break because of his addiction to cocaine, He said, Pastor, would you talk to me about my addiction to cocaine? I said, well, what has your pastor said to you? He said, I went to see my pastor, a very large Presbyterian church. And the pastor said to me, don't worry about your addiction. You can be addicted until the day you die. That will not stop you from going to heaven. God knows you're struggling. You'll probably struggle with this addiction until you die. Is that the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we must struggle being ravished by the devil until we die? Or is there a place of total and complete victory that we can walk into? And what do the scriptures say? In all of the passages that I just shared with you out of the book of Ephesians and the book of Hebrews that we've just finished studying, and now in the book of James, the actual Greek indicates that the victory is there, that we can have that victory now. And so he comes saying, therefore, having already taken off all moral uncleanness. It is the expectation of Pastor James as he speaks to his church that they have no moral uncleanness in their lives, that they have the victory. I mean, I know why there is so little celebration and so little excitement 
in the body of Christ in America because nobody has the victory. We're sinners. Jesus has to accept us just the way we are because we're sinners. We can't help ourselves. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's what the devil wants you to believe. Verse 21 is very clear in the Greek. This is the literal translation of the Greek. Therefore, having already taken off all moral uncleanness and residue of depravity, and residue of depravity, that is the carnal nature, it's taken off off. It's no longer a part of our heart. If God is immutable, if God does not change, sin brings death. Sin brings death. Then sin must always bring death because God does not change. Now, if we go back earlier in this passage of Scripture, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. That is, he's immutable. He doesn't change. He is the sum of all knowledge. He is the sum of all holiness. He is in himself totally complete. He doesn't change. There's no shadow of turning with Jesus. Verse 18, having willed it, he brought us into being by a word of truth for us to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Have you ever wondered, why didn't all of this end when Jesus arose from the grave? Well, the reason it didn't end was because he wanted a people who would take the precious blood of his atonement and gain the victory over the flesh, the devil, and the world. So anyone who is saying we cannot have the complete victory in Jesus Christ, even over the carnal nature, is in violation of the word of God. I don't care what your experience is. Your experience does not determine what is truth. The word of God determines what is truth. So if your experience is that you cannot gain the victory, you have believed the lie of Satan. And you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Having willed it, he brought us into being by a word of truth. Jesus is that word of truth. For us to be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. In other words, God has designed 
for us to be a public demonstration of righteousness. So then, my beloved brethren, all men must be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. So it is the expectation of Pastor James that we will walk in righteousness, not being controlled by anger, not being given to anger at all, but rather we pursue peace. We're not filled with rage and anger anymore. We are set free. We are healed of anger. We're not angry men and women anymore. Instead, we walk with compassion and love in peace, lifting up the name of Jesus. Sin, according to Jesus with Adam and Eve, sin would bring death. Sin always brings death. And but by the grace of God, we would have all perished. But on the cross, he made a way of escape. He didn't make a way of excuse. He didn't indicate that we would be continually ravaged by the devil, that the devil would have full sway over our hearts, that we would always be struggling and struggling and struggling to not sin against God. No, rather we are to take the victory, to believe in Jesus Christ there is victory not defeat. Therefore, having already taken off all moral uncleanness and residue of depravity, in humility, you must receive the engrafted word, the one being able to save your soul. So Jesus literally wants to to have his word begin to grow in your heart, to enter into you. You must receive the message of his righteousness and his holiness. This is not a legalism. This is not a try-hard deal. This is not a white-knuckle deal to not sin. This is rather coming and receiving that engrafted word of the power of the blood of Jesus. That he wants to come and change your life. He wants to give you the victory over the power of darkness. And then he says, Now you must be doers of the word and not hearers only. You must be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this one is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Now he observed himself and has gone away and immediately forgot what he was like. But the one having looked into the perfect law, the one of liberty, having continued, this one is not becoming a forgetful hearer, but a doer of work. This one will be blessed by his doing. Now, let's be clear. Jesus does not call us to be washed and made whole and then walk away from us. God's call also has in it the power to change your life. He does not come and speak a word and say, now you're going to have to continue to be ravished by the devil. You're always going to be struggling. You're always going to be trying to learn more. But you're never going to be victorious. So just put up with that and understand that's how it is on this earth. He doesn't say that. And neither does he say, you must now come and you must do the work yourself to become righteous. Here is the laws. This is what you have to do. Now you have to do this or you're going to go to hell. He doesn't say that. When Jesus comes and he reveals to us the true condition of our heart, He then is willing to change our hearts, to give us a new heart, to write his law on our hearts so that when we're doing our will, we're doing God's will. And we are called to be doers of the word. You cannot be a doer of the word if you are not an overcomer. You must be an overcomer. Now, can we cut right to the chase? It's much more comfortable for many of you to pretend that you cannot gain the victory over your sin by the power of the blood of Jesus. Because if you ever admit that it's possible for you to overcome your sin then you are faced with the reality that if you do not overcome it, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. As long as we can maintain that we can never overcome our sin, we can then continue to believe that we are saved and yet enjoy the sin of this world. What an ugly reality that is. As long as we frame the Christian gospel as salvation is a free gift, all you have to do is say, yes, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I repent of all my past sins, and now you 
stand and believe that Jesus' death on the cross covered your past, present, and future sins, and you're good to go. Now you can enjoy the benefits of wickedness, and it is soul-pleasing, it is flesh-pleasing, and now you have the best of all possible worlds. That's why the church is so full of people today. It's why the churches are crowded as men and women come in to hear the strategies for success so that they can win at, at Baal's crap table. They can figure out how to be prosperous and have a wonderful life. And that wonderful life is a life of sin while believing that they're saved. But when we begin to face the reality of the Scripture, that we must be crucified with Christ, and literally all moral uncleanness and the residue of depravity, even the the carnal nature has to be all released to Jesus. And that then we stand in faith, watching and waiting for that completed work in our hearts as we turn from every evil thing and we seek after Jesus with all of our hearts. Now, there's a a passage of Scripture I want to turn to. I've talked with you about it before. Let me share this. Second Corinthians. I'll begin with verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? But the research done by Focus on the Family indicates that there's no discernible difference between those who call themselves evangelical Christians and those who say they're pagan in America. They couldn't find a measurable difference. They spent their money the same way. They went on the same vacations. They watched the same television shows. Their entertainment was the same. They couldn't find any difference. How's that possible? Well, because we've come up with a theology that allows us to claim the righteousness of Jesus while walking in the wickedness of the world, and so we're right at home with worldly people. He says, what fellowship can light have with darkness? But if you call yourself a Christian and you're walking in the darkness, you can have fellowship with everyone else in the darkness because they're just like you. And that's why that bumper sticker has been such a a painful thing for me to see on cars. It says, the only difference between you and me is that I'm forgiven. Really? Really? You believe that? That the only difference between you and me is that you're forgiven? What harmony is there between Christ and Bilal or the devil? 
What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. So the theology that teaches that you can touch any unclean thing you desire and your sins are all forgiven in the future and in the present as you continue to walk in that darkness, it doesn't measure up with Scripture. It's a lie. It's a comfortable lie. I grant you that. But not if you really want Jesus. I tell you, I want Jesus much more than I want this world. And I have put off every unclean thing in my life. And as James, in that first chapter, said, therefore having already taken off all moral uncleanness, and residue of depravity. That's what I've done. Have you? Have you put off all moral uncleanness? Have you put off even the residue of depravity in your heart? In humility, have you and are you now accepting the engrafted word of truth that can save your soul. Have you done that? Now, don't be religious with me, please. I don't like religion. I'm not a religionist. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of the way. I don't care for the rituals. I don't care for all of the emptiness of human belief. I don't like the patting on the back and the entertainment and the foolishness that is evident everywhere where the false gospel of eternal security is preached. It's abhorrent to me. I hate it because it's taking precious men and women to hell. It says, come out from them. Be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. The expectation of the Apostle Paul in writing to the Corinthian church is that they will no longer walk in any sin. They will be cleansed and made whole by the blood of Jesus. 
There is a work, however, of purification. He says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. What does that mean? It means coming out and being separate. It means making the decision that I will cut that wicked television broadcast off that is utterly wicked and distasteful before the eyes of God. It says, I will make the decision not to look upon any unclean thing. I will not touch an unclean thing. That's a decision. You have to make that decision. Now, last night in our prayer meeting at the National Prayer Chapel, one of the brothers said something that was very striking to me. It was literally a divine revelation. He said, we must not test God with our sin. We must test the promises of God with righteousness. In other words, there are very precious promises included in this passage of Scripture. He says, touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. All right, Lord. I will no longer touch any unclean thing. And come on, you know what's clean and what's not. I will no longer touch any unclean thing, and I'm now standing by faith that you will receive me, that you will be a father to me, that I will be your son or daughter. So now we put the promises of God to the test. Does God seem far away from you? Then he probably recognizes that you're touching unclean things. He's recognizing that you've never been willing to pay the price to come out and be separate. That you're still basking in the belief that God forgave all of your past, present, future sins at the cross. He did not. What he did at the cross was make arrangements for you to be able to be forgiven. When you repent, when you turn from your sin, when you come out and are separate from them. And it is Jesus who gives us the ability and the strength to come out and be separate from them. This morning I was in the prayer closet. And I was praying for someone. They claim to be a Christian, but they keep going back and touching the unclean thing. They're determined to have their way. This precious person, if God does not intervene in their life, 
will die believing that they are a saved Christian while they never came out from their sin and they were never separate from their wickedness. And they believe that Jesus will save them anyway. But the conditions are very clearly laid down in Second Corinthians, the seventh, the sixth chapter, and the seventh chapter. Since we have these promises, dear friend, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness or perfecting purity out of reverence for God. Have you done that? You so believing the lie that you looked in the, in the law, you looked in the mirror one time, and you said, okay, I'll accept you, Jesus. And then you went away and you forgot what you looked like. And now you think you're fine. Is that your spiritual condition today? Do you think that by constantly trying to become an overcomer, do you think by constantly struggling but never achieving moral cleanliness, by never putting off the residue of depravity, that God's just going to accept you the way you are and you're on your way into heaven? Do you believe that? What a miserable way to live. What a miserable way to live. If Jesus does not give us victory now, how can he ever give us victory in the future? If Jesus doesn't care enough to break the power of sin in my heart and in my life and to wash me by his blood now, how can he possibly do it later? He can't. The blood of Jesus is not like the blood of bulls and goats. The blood of Jesus is almighty, all-powerful, all-cleansing. Have you gone away and forgotten what you looked like? Have you refused to be a doer of the word? Then he gets right down to it in verse 26. If anyone among you considers himself to be religious, not bridling his tongue, but deceiving his heart, this one's religion is worthless. In other words, if you consider yourself to be a very religious man or woman, you go to church regularly, but you've never overcome the sin of your life. And you imagine that you're okay. You're walking in the worst kind of deception. And you must wake up and get serious about this journey with Jesus. You cannot be saved. Your religion is worthless. That's what 
Pastor James is saying to his church. Specifically, he's using the tongue as an indicator of having the victory over the anger and bitterness, the cursing, the vile words. What's inside of a man flows out of a man. If righteousness is in a man, righteousness and peace will flow from that man. He says, religion, pure and undefiled before the God and Father, is this, to look after orphans and widows in their difficult circumstances and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. In other words, the kind of religion that that Pastor James is concerned about is a religion of compassion for others and a life of holiness for you, unspotted from the world. Are you unspotted from the world today? Or are you filthy? Are you unclean? Are you polluted? Pornography, lust for money, fornication, malice, bitterness, fights, dissensions, anger. Are you spotted by the world? Or are you clean before God? Have you been washed in the blood? Have you been fully sanctified in Jesus Christ? Please, I'm not I'm not saying these things to in any manner condemn you. But I am trying to say, are you serious about your salvation? Or are you just serious about your enjoyable religion that you are able to practice? with the lie of Satan that you're fine and you're on your way to heaven, even though you have no victory over sin. James said, therefore, having already taken off, not in the process of taking off, having accomplished the reality in your life of having taken off all moral uncleanness and the residue of depravity. In other words, are you clean and unspotted by the world right now. I can hear some of you saying, but pastor, I'm doing my best. That won't get you to heaven. Only the blood of Jesus will get you to heaven. It is a supernatural act of grace that God wants to perform in your life. He wants to bring you through in joyous victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you are still struggling to do that, you are not in Jesus Christ. You can never accomplish this by going to more seminars. You're finally going to have to sit down or kneel down or lay down before Jesus 
and deal with your sin. And believe the word of God that victory is yours in Jesus Christ. You're going to have to do business with God. Have you done business with Jesus Christ? Or have you comforted yourself with the lie of Gnosticism that that you can have a good heart and be saved and yet be filthy in your life? Where are you in this process? What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? I know some of you are comforted by the constant flow of Christian broadcasting. You listen to many different people. In fact, it's kind of become your hobby. You enjoy it. Have you dealt with your sin? Have you dealt with your uncleanness? Or have you made excuses for it? Have you said, God's just going to have to accept my depression and my discouragement, my lack of belief. He's just going to have to accept that I'm going to this married man or this married woman and having an affair. God's just going to have to accept that that my heart wants to serve him and follow him, and and I believe I'm saved because I received Jesus Christ? Really? Is that your belief? Then you are utterly deceived and hell-bound. There has to be a radical change in your heart. In your life, you must be born from above. You must be supernaturally changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The bitterness must be removed, the anger, the prejudice, the racial division. It must be removed from your heart. A black man, a white man, an Asian man, a a Hispanic man. They're all one in Jesus Christ. There's no separation. I hate this organization, Black Lives Matter. Oh, they matter okay, but every life matters to Jesus. And before Jesus, we're all red. We're not black or white. We're not red or yellow. We're red. We're we're the blood of Jesus. And we must not allow racial prejudice to enter into our churches or into our thoughts. We must not be inflamed against the police. We must not be inflamed against one another. We must not be divided one from another, but rather we must come into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven where there is no racial division. We are one in Jesus Christ, precious brothers and sisters who have removed by the blood of Jesus all moral uncleanness and the residue of depravity.
So how do you stand with Jesus today? Let's pray. Almighty God, I come to pray for brothers and sisters who this word cuts right across what they hear other preachers saying. It cuts right across the comfortableness of their life in the church. It cuts across their flesh. And Lord, I know that some are right now very angry with me. But I pray, Lord, that your spirit will move in power to bring the truth of the word that I've spoken today into clear focus in their hearts and minds. That, Lord, we would not be satisfied with religion. We would not be satisfied to simply practice a form of religion that has no power in it, no victory in it no cleansing and washing and breaking of the bondages of sin. But Lord, open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, open before us the way of salvation. Mighty God, we are in such desperate trouble in America because your pulpits no longer flame with righteousness, with holiness. Instead, a homogenized gospel, a lying gospel, goes forth over the airwaves and from the pulpits, comforting God's people in the midst of their sin, never telling them the truth that they must be supernaturally changed and washed and transformed, metamorphosed into new creatures that have the victory over darkness, that have the victory over Satan, over the flesh, over the world, that were to come out and be separate, that were to touch no unclean thing, and then you will receive us. Lord, the lies have blocked the avenue of escape from sin and darkness. Lord, I pray particularly today for the preachers of Washington, D.C. I pray, Lord, that they will not feel, if they hear this broadcast, that they are being condemned or judged, but rather, Lord, cause them to open their eyes and begin to search the Scriptures to see whether these things that I have spoken, whether they are true or not. And I pray, Lord, for those men and women in England the men and women in China, all over the world who are listening to these podcasts. Lord, I pray that a a revival of godliness, of righteousness will break forth. That your people will come weeping into the prayer closet, searching to say, are these things so? Is there really a deliverance from all sin? Is there a perfection, a righteousness that we are called to enter into in order to be saved? 
mighty God of heaven, would you come with power? Would you reveal the lies that we have believed and struggled under? Lord, I know today that there are many listening who are hungry for the fullness of Jesus to be in their hearts. They believe these lies, and they've been in bondage under the imprisonment of the devil. But now, Jesus, they want you. I pray, Lord, you'll be powerful in their hearts, encouraging them to test your promises by righteousness. In the name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I'm eager to have you come and join together with the National Prayer Chapel, fellowship with us, and learn these deep truths of God. You're welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I also invite you to share with me in covering the cost of this month's radio broadcast. Please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Search the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of his glory.